and welcome back to the Livingston Parish News Weekly Show. We've had a, a little bit of break during the coronavirus as we've tried to uh, keep you guys informed and very hard to get a lot of these folks uh, on the mic uh, to come talk to us during that time. But today we do have a special guest, uh, a good friend of mine, and we, we got a little disconnected after participating in Leadership Livingston in the early 2010s. But we have come back together to talk a little bit about architecture. His name's Philip Kern. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Good morning, sir. Uh, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do and, and your family and that sort of thing. Good morning, McHugh. Uh, yeah, I'm a commercial and residential architect. I, I started my new business, Kern Architects, at the beginning of this year, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Amber Kern, uh, since 2012, and, and we've got two beautiful young girls, a uh, a three-year-old and a four-year-old, Mary Camille and Maggie Grace. So we got our hands full. Boy, it sure sounds like it. Uh, two girls can be a lot. So, you know, as we get into this, you know, you said that you broke off to be on your own, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but let's back up a little bit. You know, a lot of times we like to uh, give the audience a little bit of a chance to get to know you. Uh, and, and one of the initial things we want to talk about is, what made you decide to be an architect? What, what was the what was the mindset there when you were, you know, maybe whenever that started, could have been undergrad, could have been high school, and you said, this is what I want to do? Well, most people don't have a, a story like this that goes back as far as I do, but, uh, you know, I'm getting that question a lot from friends who have uh, teenage kids who are looking at possible architecture and things like that, and they ask me why I ended up getting into it. Honestly, it was a, it was a project I had, and fourth grade where it was a competition to design a doghouse of the future and we actually had to build a half-size model of it out of wood and it really was a project I got excited about at that age and ended up winning the competition and at the end of it my teacher was telling me you know you really need to think about this maybe you need to be an architect one day and uh, you know at that age I didn't know what that was so but from that from that point forward, anytime I got a question from an adult or a teacher that said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" the, the answer was always, "Well, I'm going to be an architect." Uh, and it was basically because I enjoyed that project, and my teacher told me I needed to be. So, uh, kudos to that that teacher, and it stuck in my head, and I, I really focused on it. And it, you know, my view of what an architect is has changed a lot since that age. But uh, that, that's really where it all started. Well, and you know, like you said, kudos to that teacher. You know, a lot of times we get uh, we get some mentorship and and a push in the right direction early in life, and a lot of times it's due to teachers. So uh, we should always give them our thanks. So, you know, moving forward, uh, so clearly this path was set for you early, but you know, there's a lot of uh, educational requirements, and let's get into that. I mean, where where did you where did you get your architectural education, and, and tell us a little bit about that process. Well, I grew up in Baton Rouge, and, you know, I was a big football fan, so LSU was always part of my plan, and lucky for me, LSU did have, does have a great architecture school. It's a, a five-year professional degree program, uh, and, you know, has a good reputation. So I went to LSU starting in 2002 in their architecture program, graduated in 2007, uh, and it's, you know, a pretty competitive program, honestly. They start with 85 students each year. Uh, and then by the by the time you graduate, usually they're around 25. We graduated 24 students, I believe, in 2007. Uh, part of that is they have a gate where they actually have a cut after two years. Uh, but 
the bigger part of that is a lot of people just drop because it's a it's a very intense program, a lot of late nights and weekend work, and uh, for most college students, that's not what they thought they were signing up for. So uh, it was, you know, made some close friends there, but LSU was was a great architecture school, and and I appreciate the education I got there. So real quick, we're going to kind of go off script a little bit here, but not too bad. I just want to talk to you about, you know, when you're talking about late nights and and, and weekend work, clearly this seed was planted in you early about architecture. You know, you talked about your grade school experience and the teacher who pushed you and moving forward. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, because you are, you're in college. There's a lot going on. There's the parties, you know, uh, uh, the girls. You know, football, like you mentioned, I mean, that's a huge part of, of the LSU campus experience uh, at sports in general. When you're when you were in those late nights and you were in those weekend, uh, you know, late work situations, what, what what kept you going? What kept you focused? Well, I think of a couple things. First of all, it, I knew what I wanted, and I had wanted it so long that I I knew what it took to achieve it, and I wasn't gonna. I wasn't going to quit to go have a few extra beers at a tailgate or something like that. So, so that was one side of it is I was focused on an end goal, and I didn't want to give that up. Uh, then the other side of it was, you know, I made a lot of really close friends when you're working those late nights and going through an intense program that, that maybe not all your, your other college friends are going through. You really develop kind of a tight-knit new group of friends uh, and even though from the outside looking in, your friends are confused as to why you're all right spending those late nights up there, you know, you're seeing another side of it, that you've, you've built these new relationships uh, that, honestly, several of those continue to this day. Some really strong relationships built when you're in an intense program like that. So you were, you know, you were all in. Uh, starting with that grade school experience going through it, it kept you focused. So getting out of school, Going into the professional world, where did you get your start? Well, in 2005, the, the summer of 2005, so I still had a couple of years of school left, uh, some of the students start to do internships at that point uh, in the summer. So I, I was looking into doing a summer internship, and uh, my family has been in, in the construction industry. Actually, in Denham Springs, they had started a concrete company a, a long time ago, and uh, my dad working for that concrete company for years and made a lot of relationships with general contractors and one of the bigger general contractors in, in Denham Springs actually happened to be an architect also, uh, Mr. Jay Labar, Labar Associates. So my dad kind of, you know, nudged Mr. Labar and asked him for a favor to, to interview me just to, you know, what he said was get some experience uh, for for my interviewing so I could go out and interview with other architects and try to find that internship. and. So I went in and interviewed with, with Mr. Labar, and, you know, they had an opening for a summer internship, and I took that position, and I guess I, I did well enough, and I enjoyed I enjoyed the work, so they, they agreed to let me continue to intern during school. So I started there, you know, back in 2005, and, and honestly, up until the end of last year, so just about 15 years, uh, I worked for, for Labar, and, uh, you know, Mr. J was definitely a a major influence for me and you know a lot of what I do is based on what I what I learned working for Mr. Labar. Would you consider him a, a mentor of sorts in your in your profession? Yeah definitely I mean I started working there when I was 20 so it's kind of hard uh, not to 
basically I, I grew up in the profession working for him. So there's only so much you can get out of school. I think everyone agreed with that, whether you're, you know, an architect or a, a journalist or whatever profession you're in, you really got to get out and get that real world experience. So, yeah, the people that you work for are definitely your mentors, and, and Jay was a, a great one for me. So you, you've got this early relationship with an architect. You kind of come out on your own. You actually, uh, I guess you could say a lot like your grade school experience, you kind of got set on a path, you know, well before you even were kind of ready. Uh, and you carried it forward, and then you decided to go out on your own. You know, that must have been a difficult decision. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I think like most people that, that end up starting a business, it's, it's usually not just a, a leap and done. Uh, so for me, you know, one thing that we didn't do at, at Labar when I was there was residential work, was, you know, house house designs and things like that. They were very focused on commercial architecture, and uh, I always had a passion for house design. So, you know, I had, I had a conversation with Jay Labar years ago, and uh, about three years ago now, back in 2017, I started a company called Kern Homes that allowed me to, I guess, you know, get my fix, for lack of a better word, on the, the residential side. So I was working on, on nights and weekends doing that type of work and, uh, you know, realizing that there was money to be made there and that, that I could carve out a path for myself in, in, in that arena. And, and then at the end of last year, the end of 2019, uh, Labar actually had an opportunity to, to sell off a big piece of the company, uh, go down from, I think they had 35 employees at the time down to around 15 or 20. And then after that sale, it just, uh, there was a restructure that took place and it just led me to where I am now, it led me to start current architects at the beginning of this year and hadn't looked back. So, you know, when you're talking about doing the work that you're doing, you know, we talked a little bit about your build-up into this business. Let's talk about the business. You know, what what goes into architecture? You know, what is, what's a day look like for you? Well, uh, it, it varies a lot. And actually, you know, we've had when – I, when I was at Labar and, and also participating in some events at LSU over the years – it's it's always interesting talking to college age and high school age students when they want to see you know they want to it's pretty common these days for schools to try to get students to look behind the curtain and see what the profession's all about and when you're in you know on the outside looking in you think all architects do is draw all day uh, you know cooped up in an office either hand drawing or working on a computer the reality is honestly probably uh, you know eighty to ninety percent of my week is communicating with uh with teams that, that put together projects because it's not an architect uh that designs a project completely they've got a, a large team they're working with so i'm usually doing a ton of emailing a, a ton of meetings and uh you know through the coronavirus times obviously a lot of zoom and virtual type meetings but you know communicating with engineers communicating with landscape architects uh usually a, a project team for an architect can consist of anywhere from four to six different companies that, that are working together to achieve that final project. So a lot of that, obviously, I do spend a good bit of time on the computer doing drawings, especially now that I'm, a, you know, a new, smaller team. I'm having to do the produ- production side of things as well. So 
You know, it's a it's a mix, and it's, the mix probably isn't what most people expect when they think of an architect. It's, you know, probably 10 to 20 percent of the time drawing, the other 80 percent of the time emailing, meeting, and on the phone. So, you know, when when we're talking about these these meetings between you know meetings of the minds, I guess you could say, between you and this, this sort of team you create. It's not just about your individual architecture team. Like you said, you're talking to several different uh, groups of people that are involved in the project. You know, uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like having to not only, you know, because I, I would say in a way, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you're kind of an intermediary, right? So there's a, a contractor, a, a builder, you know, an engineer, and you, and y'all are all trying to work together, but then you're also having to communicate these things to your client who may not speak the language of any of those professions. Yeah, I mean, that, that's honestly typically the case. It, it's rare that you get a client who's worked with a bunch of different architects on on multiple projects. Maybe if you're working with, you know, the government or something like that, they'll have a project manager who's used to that. But majority of clients for architects, it's either their first or maybe second project, and they don't do them that often. So, yeah, a lot of times the architect is the middleman, the intermediary who's having to translate the engineering speak for the owner to help them make wise decisions and you know really there's kind of two sides of every project because the architect is is managing his team of of engineers and designers while when it gets to construction you've got a general contractor that's basically doing the same thing where he's managing a team of subcontractors and material suppliers and things like that so a lot of times the client ends up you know having the architect on one side and the contractor on the other as their main points of contact for the project. But the reality is the project team is is huge when you when you drill down. You've got all the designers on the architect side, which like I said earlier, four to six companies at least on a typical commercial job. And then on the contractor side, you may have underneath that general contractor, you may have twenty subcontractors and you know, just as many material suppliers. So projects have a lot of depth and they affect a lot of companies. And, uh, you know, the client really counts on the architect and the general contractor to be that great communicator and keep them in the loop to help them make good decisions. So let's take what you just said and sort of flip the question a little bit. When, you know, because a lot of people, and, and you and I have talked about this before, when the architect's fees come through, a lot of people go, whoa, what? You know, but, but it, it, it's so much more than just a fee to you. You know, so when you're talking about those fees and, and what you charge, you know, what are the problems that you solve? And, I mean, a lot of it may be communication, but some of it may be within the project itself. Uh, so let's talk about it from that standpoint. When you're presented with a project and you have your team, what are the problems that you, Philip Kern, and your uh, team are solving uh, for the clients, for the engineer, for the uh, contractor, from for the builder, Tell us a little bit about it from from sort of that perspective. Well, that that can be a, a really long answer, but just to kind of uh, take a the higher view approach, just kind of to back up on it. You know, typically the reason an architect is getting involved is, you know, for a commercial project example, for example, it's uh you know one of two things: either you know a company, an organization, you know, it could be a governmental body, they're running out of space or they want to expand into a new market, maybe open a, a new location. So 
you know, we're, we're working with the client to determine what are their short and long-term needs and just helping them to determine, you know, what their options are for meeting those needs, you know, how much space do they need today and how much space are they going to need in 15 years and what, you know, what type of investment are they really looking at putting into this, this project and do they, you know, do they need it to buy them that long or can they go for a shorter term to be able to save them some cash? So, you know, investing poorly in, in a building project can really hurt an organization, hurt a company because a lot of times, particularly if they're owning a building, that can be the company's largest investment, you know, aside from possibly their people. So, They've got to make sure they have somebody who's being a good steward of their dollars, help them make good decisions that are going to support their their needs as a company while not breaking the bank and causing them to, you know, causing their profitability be da- to be damaged for for years ahead. And then on a, on a residential project, you know, obviously it could be a family is growing and needs additional space, uh, but you know, a lot of times it's it could be just a change in the financial situation of a family. A lot of times you've got a family who, uh, you know, maybe got a quote-unquote starter home, but then as their careers grew and developed, they wanted to, you know, move to a different location, end up with a, a larger, nicer home. So, But the, the, the challenge is still the same. you got to determine what their needs are, what their wants are in that, in that case, and then just make sure that you're being a good steward of their dollars and educating them on what things cost and, not letting the project get out of control just to, to have an exciting design. So, you know, in, in some cases, you know, the, the that fee could actually be described as a lot of the money you're saving people because from what you just said, you are just as much a financial advisor in this kind of transaction uh, outside of, of being able to draw up uh, and put together a project, you are actually uh, navigating uh, future investment dollars for these uh, homeowners and these business owners who are trying to get into sort of this real estate adjustment, I guess you could say. Yeah, I've never used that term to describe it, but I think that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And, and not all not all architects prioritize things in the same way. I can guarantee you they don't. You know, and some are very heavily focused on on the design above all else, and they may be, you know, award-winning designers, and then you've got others that, like myself, are very focused on the the whole project, but I really, I lead with budget, and it's not that exciting uh, for some architects who are very artistically minded to look at that, but I think, you know, you can't have a successful project if you're not hitting a budget and understanding and educating your client on what that budget is and, and should be. And I think if you don't start there, it really, you know, causes the designer, it causes the designer ultimately to be probably handcuffed later in the project because they're going to end up having to, to back, you know, to, to crab walk and take out a lot of the cool stuff that they had put in the project and gotten the client excited about. So when you're talking about the things that you, you know, you appreciate and specialize in, you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier is you kind of like to you like to jump into the residential side. You like to do that design. Let's pull let's pull this all together. You know, what what type of architecture do you like to focus on? And I mean, we've talked you've talked a little bit about it. it a lot of it is is residential design. But I'm gonna let you answer that question from your perspective. And let's tie in 
you know, what, what's your favorite part of it? And I think we kind of backed into that answer as well. You know, you like to, to sort of double dip. You like the design, but you also like to make sure that people uh, are investing appropriately. So let's, let's combine those questions. You know, what, 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 what area do you like to focus on specifically? And I mean, when, when you're presenting that package, I mean, what is the, what is your favorite part about uh, presenting to a client? Right. Well, right now, you know, it's it's early in my business. I'm in that, I'm in that first year, so I've really got to pursue a, a little bit of everything just so I can grow and and honestly survive, especially through the coronavirus times where where the economy is not necessarily cranking like it was. Uh, and you know, I do have I've got a ton of experience from my days at Labar. They specialize in financial institutions, working with banks and credit unions, and and really for the last probably ten years I was there. That accounted for probably 75% of the project load we were working on. So we were doing more of that than than anybody in the state of Louisiana for sure, uh, probably more than most people on the Gulf Coast. So we became kind of a, a regional uh, design build firm when it came to working with banks and credit unions. So I, I built a lot of relationships in that world, and you know I was able to continue to work with a few of those clients with with current architects now. So that's been great, and that's kind of the low-hanging fruit because that's that's a specialty I have, which makes it easier to sell that. Uh, and then on the residential side, I, you know, as I've mentioned, I'm trying to be real intentional about growing that because I, it's kind of something that I've I've missed over the years. And uh, while it's a passion of mine, it it's, hasn't been something I've been able to, to spend the majority of my time on up until now. Uh, and, I, and I believe you know, I, I see a big gap in the in the custom home market right now in South Louisiana because you've got you know you've got some some plan rooms or, or drafting services or residential designers they may call it that, that aren't licensed architects that can can get a set of house plans out very cheaply but they're not custom so if a homeowner is looking to to get the lowest cost on a set of plans they could go with one of those services but if they're looking for a custom home that really suits their family and it you know has a, a design style that they're passionate about. A lot of times they'll want to get with with an architect, and uh, the the fee structure for the plan rooms and designers versus a licensed architect is just you know two two other planets. It might be five to five to seven times the cost to work with a licensed architect. And, and I'm trying to find a way to to bring that down to make it not such a a huge gap in, in the value proposition between. You know, working with an off-the-shelf set of plans versus a custom, I'm trying to bring that back down to something where, you know, more more folks are able to afford a custom home design. So, wrapping up, I mean, when you're when you're talking about bringing value to people and you're talking about investments and making custom things uh, for individuals, describe to us, you know, what it is about putting. Uh, you know, you go through the whole process, you talk to them, you talk to contractors, you talk to engineers, and this could be commercial or residential. Talk to us about, to wrap it up, what that feeling is when you have completed a project and, the you know, your customer is happy. Well, honestly, and this may be a little surprising to some, except for those in, in the design world, uh, finishing a project is is a very stressful time and, you know, honestly, a little bit of a, a scary time, you know, as you get, as people start to move into a building project, because it's the test, you know, the test on 
a project that you've been working on for sometimes years, and now they're, they're moving into the building. Everybody's excited. You're getting a lot of great press, but a lot of times the design team is sweating it to some degree because it's time for that test to see did the client's dollars get invested in something that, that they're really going to use the right way and appreciate the, the building and, and not run into issues, you know, quite honestly. You can have South Louisiana, we get some heavy rains. Probably one of the biggest fears most architects have is a building that ends up with a leak. And a lot of times you, you find that leak when people move into a building. So, you know, we all wish that the buildings could be built in a factory like a car and, and have perfect gasketed, gasketed seals built by uh, machines, but that's just not reality. And when you're tested with, you know, 60 mile an hour driving rains once a month here in Louisiana, it's, it causes a, it can cause some sleepless nights for designers whenever you start to have those kind of problems. And, uh, you know, it, it's always better two, three, four years after a building is built going back and talking to that client because you're not having that same level of stress because you know their building is, has been operating well for them. So your, your, your benefit from these projects comes a few years later. Uh, so you kind of have to wait uh, to make sure that your clients are happy. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, I mean, a perfect example, kind of a project that sticks out to me, actually designed a, a home on the river for my parents on the Tickball River and, you know, on the east part of Livingston Parish. And, you know, beautiful home, very exciting project for me. That was about uh, eight or nine years ago now, something that I still take a lot of pride in. But But I use that building. I go to you know, my family goes to visit that property regularly, and when we're out there, you see every little issue when you use a building, and it and it is as great as I still you know think that project is much as, as much as I still appreciate the design and the the quality of construction we had there. <clears throat> when when you've got a building that you live with for years and years, issues issues come up because you've got to do proper maintenance, and you just got you know just the life of a building, it, it, and it just kind of compounds on you when you were the one who created every every detail on the project and were involved in the construction process. So there's, you know, there's a lot of positives in being involved and a lot of excitement in seeing the project get used. But like I said, the the use of the project and the just the life cycle of a building, it it creates some stress on the design team that, that a lot of people on the outside don't necessarily realize looking in. But at least you've got one building that you can refer back to that has been a learning experience for you and, and has a personal touch to it. So, uh, one last time, this is Mr. Phil Kern uh, with Kern Architects. He has gone out on his own. He likes to focus on residential, but he will handle your commercial projects as well. Phil, thanks for joining us today. We do appreciate it. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, McHugh, and I uh, look forward to doing more of these. Yeah, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. hope it was a ton of fun. I hope you out there in the audience who are listening enjoyed it as well. Again, my name is McHugh David, publisher and editor of the news. Appreciate you joining us for the Livingston Parish News Weekly Show, a podcast we're trying to get back on track. Uh, thanks to the coronavirus, it kind of threw us off for a little bit. But we are back. Please remember you can find the news on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. We are once a week in print on Thursdays at $7 a month. We are also online, www.livingstonparishnews.com, and we have an app to go with that. We will see you guys next time.